What's going on, guys and gals? My name is Chris Conigold, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. This week, we have singer-songwriter Dylan Galvin. Dylan now lives in L.A., but started his career off right here in Southern Maryland. We talk about his journey to L.A., highlighting the amount of hustle you need to just to survive over there, and the things he took for granted while living with a more or less ingrown fan base here at home. Dylan recently took up acting, and we talk about the passion he feels for that and how it compares to his music and overall performing. We also touch a lot on the overall machine that runs the music industry, some of Dylan's own family history, which was really, really fun, and what it's like to start over in an incredibly saturated and competitive town such as L.A. The audio should be pretty good. I recorded this with a different USB mic than I normally use, and I think I got it sounding pretty good. The mic was directly on the kitchen table. Dylan tends to talk with his hands, and we drank coffee. You'll hear some of that stuff throughout the show, but I did my best to deaden the sounds outside of the vocals. Shout out to Mike from the Monster House Recording Studio for attempting to lend a hand. I'm still very new to the whole recording bit, despite being around music for years. Hopefully it doesn't show that much. We'll find out. Thank you to everyone who has checked out the show so far. I really appreciate it. As always, make sure to rate, review on iTunes. Also, before I forget, I told you last week that I saw Glass and that I tell you how bad it was. Well, it was great. Uh, I really dug it and would honestly like to see more from that universe. I doubt that'll happen. I think it kind of closed up pretty nice. I'm a big fan of McAvoy and think he probably should have gotten at least an Oscar nom for Split. The the way that he just blends the different personas and different characters and just seamlessly goes through them each time. And it, 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 it's just amazing. I, I loved it. Um, I would also highly recommend you see Filth. Um, Filth is a movie that you see him in his native... I think it's Scottish. Yeah, I think he's Scottish. Um, you see him talk in his native Scottish accent. And it's ridiculous. It has one of my other favorite actors, Jamie Bell. It's really gross, raunchy, uh, psychological a little bit, and pretty depressing at times, but is one of my favorite movies. It was it was ridiculous from the jump, and McAvoy is a pure madman. Speaking of Jamie Bell, if you want to see another really good movie that I've loved for years check out Chum Scrubber. It sounds weird, but it's great. Um, It has Jamie Bell in it, and the only thing that I can think of for the other guy, he played Goku in the Dragon Ball Z live-action movie, which is god-awful. But it's Jamie Bell and that guy and some other stuff. There's a lot of stuff that happens this is a really, really poor description, but is always it's always been one of my favorite movies. I haven't seen it in years, and it's a little hard to find. Filthy, I think you can find in Netflix. Um, I'm not sure about Chum Scrubber. I'll have to go look for it again. I really, really loved that movie. I think Ray Fiennes was in it too, maybe? That sounds about right. Anyway. Feel free to share your thoughts on Glass with me on Facebook and then tell me all the feelings you had about Filth. 
I love that movie. You probably won't. Anyway, that's enough of my rambling for now. Here's the show. Enjoy. Tell me everything that you've been doing for the past year and a half. You're in L.A. right now trying yes. to live the life, right? Yeah. Um, so in 2017, I think, um, I moved from my hometown of Southern Maryland uh, all the way across country, drove um, to and landed in. I, I did a tour, actually. I turned the trip into a tour, so I toured through Nashville, uh-huh. Uh, in Texas or Memphis, played in Memphis. Uh, played. I went through Texas. I didn't play in Texas, and then um, that's a long ride not to go and do anything. And I I kind of wish I had. It was the biggest state by far. I yeah. mean, it was like a whole couple days. Um, Should be a whole country. T- Texas is ridiculous. <laughs> Texas is absolutely ridiculous, and it's funny because I heard a stand-up comedian once say, in his bit, like, "Y'all yeah, drive through Texas, and their sign is don't mess with Texas." And so I thought it was a joke, and I rode through, and that's literally the sign, the state sign, is don't mess with Texas. And I was like, wow, okay, uh. I will not mess with Texas. Um, I really I really like it. It's uh, the, the, the eastern part of Texas is um, not like you'd think, but the western part is exactly the way you envision Texas, like Pecos Bill, right. you know, saloons and cactuses and Chuck Norris kicking someone in the face and <laughs> dust a uh, hay bale or... Uh, Tumbleweed rolling by, um, and then went through there. Went through Arizona, New Mexico. Those were really cool. Uh, I saw um, air, uh, what I thought was Area Fifty One, may or may not have been. And then I got to LA, and I've been there ever since. It's been about a year and a half. Nice. A very different world than Southern Maryland. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we were just talking about how it was very difficult to try and figure out what you're gonna do, right? Because you have whatever fan base that you have over here and then you're doing basically a fresh start after all these years of music for you so you're you did um, Berkeley you did all all that right mm-hmm. and you finally are making progress on the east coast and then you go to the west and it's a completely different game right yeah that was one of the hardest things was when you do music um, anything artistic but particularly music or something where it's fan based art you you have these um, like these um, penultimate goals where <clears throat> like usually it's fame and fortune for a lot of people that's kind of ambiguous but you have these really high bars set so all along the way even though you're improving all you're doing is looking at the next step because you're just trying to accumulate more fans and play bigger shows and get more you know pay and expand expand constantly expand so you don't really see the journey that you're on you just are seeing that goal and it seems so far away and so I didn't realize kind of how good I had it um oh my goodness we're just like making <laughs> it's all right creating we'll, we'll put a little disclaimer and we're like hey it picked up everything yeah. the the microphone's fantastic wookies are being birthed inside <laughs> of the fridge right now um that was a bad wookie call um so yeah so I didn't realize how good I had it because I was working so hard to you know build the fan base and once I moved out to LA and I had no fans and I had no gigs and nothing it was everything was stripped away like prestige mode in Call of Duty right um and then I went wow I you know I really um I I had I had a good thing here but I had to leave because Southern Maryland is primarily um it's a it's a country heavy scene and I'm just Mm -hmm. not a country guy i mean i grew up here since i was three years old i lived in southern maryland 
Um, but I just, I feel like if I did country music, it would not be, it would be disingenuous to people that are fans of country and it wouldn't be authentic to what yeah. I'm doing. So I had to go to a place where, you know, the, the, the pond is bigger. LA is the biggest pond um, for, you know, the style of music that I do. Um, although I would like at some point, once I get grounded in Los Angeles, to be able to come back to Southern Maryland and perform perform regularly because I do have a fan base this is this is what I you know this is my hometown yeah this is where all my memories are all my best friends uh, my family you know um, it is a wonderful place and I did I started to get a little nostalgic and miss it after a while of being in LA because LA is like I feel like LA is not a place you ever miss it's a fun place but there's no nostalgia there it's just it's where you go to make hopes and dreams and do things but it's not like I don't know it's it's not it's so detached from any romantic idea of like childhood or beauty you're like you don't sit and stare at the clouds or fish with your friends or any, anything that you would do in like your hometown i feel like la is really not that place or at least it doesn't feel like that right because it, it for everybody outside of la there is that romantic look for it that this is the end all be all this is where i want to be this is yep. where i want to end up right yep so when when you look at it and you're actually in there you realize oh this is a lot of hard work yeah i have to like Focus on on making money, making myself a business, and trying to figure out how to market better rather than just play music and then hope that someone's gonna. It's yeah. It, LA is a big grinding machine. It's just you go in and you become a cog and you work. And if you're a good cog, and you work very hard and very efficiently, and you learn kind of the little nuances and subtleties of the industry, then. After a significant portion of time of you exerting absolutely, you know, as much as you have, um, you should be able to move, progress forward. But, you know, there's a lot of people in L.A. and they will, they're just not going to make it. And L.A. Right. won't tell them that because L.A. wants you to be there working for it because you're helping the system work by all these starry-eyed um, people that want to be, you know, singers and songwriters and entertainers and actors and stars and all these things. They just, LA just dangles fame and fortune over your head, not telling you that like maybe five to 10% of these people will actually do it. Most will not. It, there's a, there's a talent thing involved. Um, and I realized that as, as uh, I'm a more talented actor than a musician. I had that really? unsettling discovery when I was in LA. Um, yeah, I've spent, you know, a very long time doing music and I realized that I have a talent for acting that is better than uh, music. Music has always been a slow frustrating process mm -hmm. to get better at it and acting just I just did a I did I started doing films and it just no 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 schooling no practice no anything so I was like oh I should have been doing that but I didn't know you know what I mean I didn't know well you, you don't have that kind of option here I would assume yeah that's the like, other thing is there isn't I, I there are a few local theaters and I wish I had been involved with them um, there's a black box theater, I think, in La Plata, mm -hmm. and I wish I would have been a part of that before I left because it's it is so much fun like to be in theater, and that's something I always missed out on because of my stage fright growing up. I was always terrified of doing that, and I took theater in high school, and all year I just dreaded the monologue at the end. I was so scared of the monologue. I, I literally got nervous thinking about it all year, and I finally did it, and um, I wish I had just not cared. I it, like it's a matter of. I think it's a personal thing. It's like a, more of a psychological thing um, than anything else is just being able to get in front of people and deliver something. And for, for whatever reason, that has disappeared. Mm -hmm. Like I, when, when the cameras are rolling, like I'm not really 
that nervous. I just I, it's easier for me to act on, on film than it is to perform like on an engaging stage? show. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I will say when I'm back home and it's it's like I feel like my audience, like I know them, they know me. It's that's not difficult. That's that's just fun. That's just getting okay. to have fun. But if, when it's like a cold audience and they're kind of sitting with their arms crossed, looking like. All right, dance monkey, dance. You better do something amazing because I've seen transformers right. and explosions for the right. past ten years. I've been just saturating in entertainment, and you better entertain me. And you're like, okay, <laughs> me and my guitar, um, my plaid shirt. Yeah. Well, what what do you think that you've learned the most about yourself by going to LA compared to over here? Have you had to come out of your comfort zone a lot more? Have you had to think about like a bigger picture for you, a bigger way to approach music? 100%. I feel like in Southern Maryland, it is very easy for – it's very tempting to coast. Mm-hmm. For, for me, it was. Um, just to get comfortable to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got these things going uh, um, and just kind of get comfortable. It's, there, there's something I'm reading about called lifestyle sprawl, which is – as your income increases or as your opportunities increase, you allow your your lifestyle posture to kind of go in, in slouch. And then you start spending a little bit more money, you go out more, you entertain yourself more. But what you should always keep that razor sharp. Be careful of your budget, be careful of like everything you do, everything you say, everything you post on social media, always razor sharp focus it to be a stem of your profession. And don't get too comfortable because all those little things like oh spending ten dollars here to see a movie or spending fifteen mm-hmm. here or taking a few days off just because you're tired those add up over a year and that's like you know if you were to take all those that time and energy and money and invest it back like it snowballs over a long time if you do that and I noticed that I had a lot of lifestyle sprawls going to spend um, and I, I love this place Mom's Organic Market yeah and. Uh, and I, I would spend way too much on groceries. And there's a there's a local place too in um, oh my goodness, what is uh, I love this place. It was my favorite place to go because it wasn't expensive as mom's. Um, in was, here, it was down in Leonardtown. Yeah, yeah. There's a Leonardtown organic shop down there, and oh I don't remember gosh. what it's called. Why can't I love the place? Oh, I feel so bad if you're listening. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I um, doubt they are. But you know, but um, we could always dream. Yeah, so I but I would spend too much. I would spend way too much money on groceries and like supplements and things like that when I didn't necessarily have the budget to do that mm-hmm. because I looked at my I was the kind of person that like if I have five thousand dollars in my bank account, then I'm like, Cool, I got five thousand dollars, I can spend whatever I want. Right. Like, no, that's right. not the way money works. <laughs> like five thousand dollars, like you are going to get old one day. You need retirement, you need like a plan. What if you get what if a pigeon flies into your face and yeah because you don't have you don't have a 401k like a traditional backup plan right musicians yeah we never get that unfortunately yeah so you have to (laughs) you have to figure out how to how to actually do that and then you're looking at yourself to where we have this this whole i want to make money playing music i want to make money doing some kind of entertainment Uh right but only, only the good ones are really looking at the fact that I need to treat it like what you're talking about, where I have to make every dollar count. I have to make sure that I can plan out my budget. Uh-huh. Well, you have people that are your age that are still living at home, right? Yeah. And, and I did that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had and, to. And that happens. Yeah. And I, I think having that experience in LA probably helps out a lot to where you've matured a little bit more, right? 
absolutely like that is I mean what what you were saying earlier um, necessity uh, is the mother of all invention right. that is absolutely true because there's no need to fine tune like most people would never feel the need to fine tune their finances or their budget unless you're in a situation where if you don't you will lose you'll be homeless yeah and so like in LA it is like that like if you don't show up ready to work day one ready to grind and not stop like it's it's work to the absolute maximum potential of your ability every day not not just mindlessly being busy but like efficiently working but you will have to you know see what you're made of it's either that or be homeless right like rent is absurdly expensive thankfully i i have been in some very fortunate situations with some very good friends so that's helped me save money on my rent um not all people have that option i know other actors and actresses that i'm friends with that i act with and in musicians and the rent is 1200 1500 like 2000 a month and i'm yeah. like that's all your money you're just working to live and that's what but that's what ellie wants they want you to just get in there and start grinding for them for their economy you know and um it really is like that and there's always this new wave of people who are interested in the creative arts who come into LA who are new they're green they haven't been there and they don't necessarily know the ropes and that was my first year was learning the mm -hmm. ropes I guess um, and it, it kind of feeds off that fresh cycle of people like you know you're there for two or three years and you go I can't do this like this is right. this is going to kill me and then they leave and then a new batch comes in but all the while these people with not a lot of money are just funneling their money back into LA um, and I don't like that. Um, LA is very, it's unfairly priced. Everything is unfairly priced. Everything is way too expensive. Um, the rent's too expensive. The food's too expensive. Now, granted, the food is amazing. <laughs> the rent is the rent is not amazing. The rent, uh, right. the places that you rent, how much you pay for where you live is not proportional. Like there are places that are just crap. It's just a terrible. It's like a one bedroom cellophane covered cardboard box <laughs> it's like 1500 a month right and you know there's like snakes in the attic um but that's you know that's la that's what and it's crazy because that's what people are willing to subject I'll, I'll say ourselves to yeah in order to for this idea of opportunity but you, you have i would say if you're going if you're listening to this right now and you want to go to la for music or acting or anything creative digital arts don't go for fame and fortune. Please do not go for fame and fortune. That is... Go to work. Yeah, it's the dumbest... Like, I know this will, might upset some people, but fame and fortune is the dumbest dream that you can have. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing ever. It's, amb it's ambiguous. It's not quantifiable. It usually destroys the people who have it. It's, it's more of a burden than a blessing. Um, there are, like... Don't so many people are not ready for it. I mean, look, you can see what happened to Michael Jackson and Macaulay Culkin, and so many people. And these are, you know, it's just you're opening a Pandora's box and you can't close, you can't unfame yourself. Like, once right. you're famous, it kind of has an impact. Like, you can go into hiding for a few years, like Dave Chappelle, and kind of let things die down a bit, or John Mayer when he said the thing yeah. on Rolling Stone. But overall, you know, you're once you're known, you're known. That's it, like, man. You're yeah. it. That's, yeah. There's no going back, and so that's a burden you will carry for the rest of your life, where people will want your signature and everything. And it by itself is not anything. I, I don't understand why anyone would ever strive for that itself, other than right. you've been marketed this idea by Hollywood, and that's the that's the sales pitch of Hollywood to draw you into Hollywood to help Hollywood. But it's like fame and fortune itself. It sucks. Like <laughs> it sucks. It, it, if it's a byproduct 
of you being successful at your craft, then so be it. But let the success of your craft, let the fact that you got very good at something and now you're in demand for what you do, let that be your focus, not I want Instagram followers and people to walk right, around and right, take right. pictures of me and like that's like psychotic. Yeah. Like that's uh, like Yeah, I mean they they talk about how that is definitely becoming a disease, like a, an actual psychological disorder where yeah. you're so focused on that instant gratification that we talk about yep. so often with millennials and, and the younger generations yep. where you know they they're looking for next thing you know you're you're an hour into your phone and you're just like how how like, did I happened? spend yeah, yeah exactly what did I do and then they're just like oh let me post all the pictures let me expose my entire life just so I can get a few likes and and it's like the equivalent like digesting um, media like that on Instagram and I I am guilty of it because yeah. I do it I have an Instagram and I try to post every day I was kind of inactive for a while but after being in LA I'm like I really need to get these numbers up unfortunately um, but. You will spend this time on your phone, and it just—it's a time suck. And you don't—you never better. You never on Instagram, and you walk away and say, "Well, I—I I am now a better person. I'm more informed about something." That rarely happens. Right. It's like you're a human being, and it's like every meal. Instead of eating a meal, you just go in this big, like salad bowl full of little Snicker bite size, and you just have one or two like every few minutes. You never get really any nutrients. It's all sweet. It tastes good. And you're alive, but you know it's having an effect on your yeah. body, and you don't see it until like ten years go by, and you're like, I don't have any real friends. I'm completely emotionally detached from all things, and I hate myself. Why is that? Oh, it's because I sacrificed all my friendships and all my real relationships to try and impress people by saying, Oh, look at here's a picture of me by a Hollywood star, and here's me on the mountain, and here's me having fun when I'm not. Um, that's the wrong thing. And I understand there's there are people who use Instagram as a tool for their profession. And I, I understand that. Like there is, you know, like if you're a florist, post pictures of your flower and put it on Instagram because yeah. that's how people can see it. But then there's people who just like, they just get this idea of if I get enough followers, then I'll be famous and my life will be good. And so, you know, for really no reason other than that, they just start doing it. And it's like, there's, and there's millions of people doing that without really a reason and um, I think that is ultimately very detrimental to our society because we're all lying to each other. You know, everyone's lying. Your life is not as fun. Um, and if you were to be up front, rarely, I mean, people probably wouldn't want to see it. Yeah. You know, this is me crying because something bad happened. Like, you're, everyone's always excited and wonderful. And it's kind of like, um, it's like a cocktail party and everyone's being sycophantic to one another. Oh, yes, I just got a promotion. <laughs> yes, good sir. Yes, I am. No, I didn't mean to mention that I had a promotion, but I got one just in case you weren't listening. <laughs> so um, what do you what do you think it was for you? Because you spent time in California learning music, right? Or that was, that was Berkeley, right? Ber yeah, Berkeley up in uh, – that was actually not the Berkeley in California. That's okay. um, the engineering Berkeley, which everyone knows about. The Berkeley I went to is the much smaller school up in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, okay. where it's very cold. Right. <laughs> so oh. it's a little bit different. It's so cold. Okay. Because <laughs> that, that's what was going to be my next question for you is did you think about moving out there almost immediately after school? Or what was, what was your idea to – kind of take your career off to the next spot after that so me as a high school i feel like i've always been 10 years behind where i should be maturity wise mm -hmm. i in high school i didn't like they're like 
you know, when you're like 17 years old, they're like, pick your career for your life. I'm like, I don't know. I'm playing <laughs> Halo all day in my mom's basement. Like, I just, I want to play football with my friends and right. hang out. And I just don't want to do homework for a few years. Um, I didn't, I had no idea. So my friend Steve Crane, who is also in LA right now, mm-hmm. he's working for the uh, the Late Late Show with... Uh, oh, nice. Not Fallon or uh, Corden? Corden, James Corden. Corden. He works on the James Corden Show. He's a sound engineer. And um, he's got so many crazy stories and he meets so many like people that you see on tv it's just interesting that like being directly connected to that it's just weird but yeah he was he was one of my friends in high school and you know we were kind of guitar players there was a few of us us and another guy uh steve colvin who was one of my good friends we were kind of like the guitar players of our high school and steve crane went off to berkeley and i remember having a conversation with him one day and he's like yeah man uh if you go to berkeley you never have to do math or <laughs> you, you don't have to do any history or social studies or anything. Like, you don't have to take tests. All, your tests are like playing guitar. And I was like, are you freaking serious? I am going. I don't care. That's all I need. I, yeah. Who cares yeah, yeah. about like the logistics of my career, how much it will cost? These are all things I should have thought about. But I was like, right. I'm going. I'm in. And so I literally applied only to Berkeley. I didn't apply anywhere else. I broke all the rules. I didn't do anything I was supposed to. You know, you're supposed to line up the colleges and compare and – yeah, I made yeah. a lot of hasty decisions, but after I heard that, I was like, I'm in. And so I applied, and I got in, and I was like, yes! And I remember like running around the neighborhood <laughs> screaming. Um, and so that was awesome. And it was also cool because Boston is – my family, my dad's side of the family is like from that area, from Massachusetts. And I was born in Lynn, Massachusetts. Okay. Lynn, okay. Lynn, city of sin. Never go out <laughs> the way you came in. Uh, that's, that's the saying, and I was born there, so I was screwed right from the beginning. Um but it it was cool to like go back to that part of my of my family's history and just sheer by sheer coincidence kind of i mean I, maybe i guess nothing's really coincidence but um what i did not know what what i did know is my dad was a musician before i was okay so when i was born before i was born he was a musician he was in a rock band they were called the bleeding hearts and they were influenced you know by Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty mm-hmm. and my uncle was in it too and they had a few friends and um and they were good and they were very good songwriters and they had um apparently Stevie Nicks of was dire, dire Straits I'm just desecrating I Fleetwood. should know that. <laughs> Oh please forgive me all musicians <laughs> everywhere Fleetwood Mac Stevie Nicks Oh my gosh I'm going to get so much flack for that but anyway we'll be fine Stevie uh she was interested in purchasing one of their songs and, really? And yeah, and they they opened up. They played a gig with Extreme, uh, okay. the guys that sing more than words, and Nuno yeah, Betancourt, yeah. and Nuno Betancourt and their guitarist Mark did not get along, which was funny. Um, uh, but yeah, they they were like you know they weren't famous, but they were moving up. But yeah. then I was born, so my dad made the responsible decision. You know, when you have kids, you got a band, you go with your kids. And if you can't support with the band, you got to find another job. So I very much appreciate that he did that because that is not something that I would want to do to to, right. ha- to, to transfer from doing passion, doing your music to an office job. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and uh, so yeah, and he did that to kind of to raise me. And I didn't know this, but we had uh, my great grandmother, great nana. She was also a performer. Uh, in the 1930s, and I didn't know this till way later in life, like till I was already playing music. Mm-hmm. And I was at Berkeley, and I wrote a song for a school project. We had to write—I forgot the rules of the project—but like our homework was literally like write a song in the style of Ben Folds, 
write a song where the bridge modulates to minor and then the verse is in major, okay. things like that. And there was this one song project, and I wrote the song called The Last. And after, uh, after writing it, I shortly after that found out that my great nana was a performer in uh, New England, and her name was uh, Millie, and she sounded a lot like Patsy Cline, and apparently she was like very well-known touring awesome. musician, and she was really good. And this was back in a time when like men didn't like women doing independent things. Right. She carried right. around a gun. My great nana, my chocolate chip cookie making grandma who just <laughs> gently waddled around her apartment saying, Hi lovey and and giving you know, she gave me a little Hulk Hogan watch when I was little. Had a little revolver. She was so around, nice. Yeah. She was carrying around a gun. Straight up ready to shoot some crazy dude in the chest. Yeah, you you don't like women singing? Well, you're dead. Um I don't think she ever killed anybody. Um I don't I don't can't confirm that, but I'm pretty sure she did not. She was she was a very nice uh, right right. So she made up for him with the cookies. Yeah, so it was awesome to go back there uh, at Berkeley and just go to that area. Okay, and and kind of like absorb that history that I didn't even know about. And aside from that, like just the people that I met at Berkeley, like I got to meet John Mayer, who was like my ultimate musical yeah. influence. Um, I got to sit in on a clinic with him. It's on YouTube. It's it's like the John Mayer Berkeley clinic. Like I'm in the audience there, and he's doing a Q&A and playing songs and he played Gravity and mm-hmm. he showed us like funk rhythms. It was just so cool and I got to... Yeah, because he's way more than just what's the pop radio. Oh my God. His blues band is amazing. That's... Okay, Th- this is this is the thing. At Berkeley, almost everyone there and myself included is a huge snob. They're all right, snobs right, right. and you know, the jazz people are like, oh, atonal music is the <laughs> best and you know, the gospel singers are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. And they all, everyone thinks their own music is the best and there's all these people at Berkeley that hate Hated John Mayer. They're just like, oh, the guy that's what they heard on the radio. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that guy that sings your body is a wonderland. He sucks. Why is he coming to Berkeley to do a clinic? And it was like the John Mayer conversion center because all these people, I was in line listening to conversations behind me and in front of me of people going, I don't know why you're taking me to this. And the friends are like, no, trust me, man. Trust me. You could just, you'll see. You'll see. You'll right, understand. Right. And they all go in and he does this thing and we all listen and see him play and coming out. People are like, oh, I didn't know. I'm sorry. I had no idea he was that good, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so stupid. And I was like, that's yes! funny. It was, yeah, it was, it was really cool to uh, see John Mayer make so many converts, and it's, it was good. And in Berkeley, makes him like this Berkeley alumni. I think John Mayer went to Berkeley for like one or two semesters. Right. He didn't right. graduate. He just wanted to take the Stevie Ray Vaughan lab and learn more, study Stevie more. But like Berkeley is like holds him up as if he spent fifteen years in right, Berkeley. Right, right, but right. you know, I understand why because his success is so amazing and he did go to Berkeley. So it is cool that he did go there. I will say that. But um I'm just bitter because my student loans are like eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's where you know, a lot of us are now is still trying to pay off the investments that we made. You yeah. know. My thankful I I say it on the show a lot. My sister went to art school and she's part of a uh, she's a buyer from one of the retail stores right uh-huh. which is amazing because she actually used her degree for something and I don't see that that often and it's very disheartening to see the the people that went off to school that that blood sweat tears yeah. frustration stress because artistry is is not just some nice cool thing that you just go in and make art yeah. there's deadlines yep. there's there's stress you have to do it in certain ways you have to make art in, in this way you have to follow this guideline 
yada yada yada. You, you it's not just like an easy way of, of finding yourself, right? Yeah, no, it's it, not at all. Um, and you know what what they do? It, it's such a tremendous investment of money that I would say is not proportional to what they give you. Like they don't. They don't necessarily prepare you for the professional world in the sense of like learning how to connect your art, how to translate your art directly to money, like give you a step-by-step, here's how you will make money. They just teach you a bunch of things that are good, that give you competitive skills in the workplace, and they just kick you to the curb with a degree in your hand and go, figure it out, stupid, good luck. And you have to figure out then how to take all the information you just paid for and turn that into money, which isn't fair because you paid money. So like the whole, in any other investment, you put in money to get out money from it. Yeah. You, 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 there's no other. There's no middle step from that. It should be directly like, look, I'm going to invest in your company. I'm going to invest a thousand dollars, and you have a fifteen percent, you know, uh, share of whatever right? uh, markup every year. So at the end of the year, I should have one thousand one hundred and fifty dollars for giving you my one thousand now. And so, but that's not the way college works. They just teach you a bunch of skills and then go, okay, see you later. You owe us, you know. Twice what you paid. Yeah, there's twice. there's got to be some kind of a way to bridge the gap between artistry and, and the way that they do that and the business side of it. Because what, what I have found out the most through doing this show is the ones that have found that balance between pursuing their passion uh-huh. but also treating their passion as a business yes. have been the yep. most successful. That is, that is absolutely – you have to do that. You can't just um, – you can't just keep it your love, your loving little passion. You right. have to think of it as a business always. Like not when you're like practicing music or you're writing. Like you don't have to think of a business then, and you shouldn't. And I would argue that's a, for a later point. But in the music industry, I feel like a lot of the actual creation of music is based on business ideas, which I hate about the modern industry. How people are like. When you say your own name in your song, like you plug your name, like P. Diddy, you know, <laughs> that's so cheesy. It's so stupid, and it's just a desecration of – it's turning a beautiful art into a cheesy sales pitch. But so many people right. do it, but it doesn't mean it's good. Anyways, that's that's the later part of the podcast. So <laughs> I've realized that you do have to – you really do have to think of it as a business, unfortunately. And I didn't want to do that for a long time because I thought that took away from the art. But it doesn't. They're they're completely unrelated spheres. You just have to develop the business the business sphere as much as you develop the artistic right. sphere. And then once you get your art, then you transfer it over to the business sphere and you figure out how to get it to people who are willing to pay money for it. Because there's that Venn diagram where they they both kind of intersect a little bit, right? I would well, I would be careful about crossing them because for for the same reason of you don't want your art to turn into product. I don't I don't think you do. You should create your art first as art, let it be what it is, and then after it's created, then figure out how to market it. Because if you start thinking how to market it as you're creating it, your business mind will influence your art. And, and, and that, to me, takes changes art to product. It's no longer art. Okay. And, and I, that's what I don't like about the music industry. The, the mainstream has, has blurred the line between entertainment and art, and we've completely confused our entire culture as to which is which. And people can't tell this is art and this is entertainment art is telling a, some kind of truth um s- some type of it's truth. expressing yourself it's, it's getting your own message out and it could be a social commentary it could right. be an experience you had but it's some kind of truth that is not dependent upon the audience hearing it in order to share it like if you any picasso's guernica 
is, is a painting about the horrors of war. And if you look that up online, Guernica, G-U-E-R-N-I-C-A, I think, Guernica, it, you know, there's a story to be told in that art. Picasso is not trying to paint faces and use colors because he knows, you know, people in Spain love the color blue, so I use blue. Like, that's not at all what art is about. It's about creating something first and then just, you know, having it. Um, Maya Angelou or, um, you know, Paul Simon or Joni Mitchell or um, Bob Dylan, you know, they didn't write what they wrote just to appeal and if you follow their stories, they had a lot of really important things to say, a lot of pertinent things to say. Bob Dylan, um, uh, what what is the line? The, you know, the times, the, his whole song, "The Times They Are Changing," that mm -hmm. is a relevant commentary on society. It was relevant in when he wrote it. It's relevant today, and you can see that truth. Now I feel there's a lot of people who don't say what needs to be said. They say what the audience wants to hear, and that's pandering. And they're doing it because they want money. Right. They're not doing it because it's art. So that's the difference between art and entertainment is art says something whether or not the audience wants to hear it. It's giving truth to someone in some kind of media, usually other than just telling someone. Um, but it sometimes shows people a cold, hard truth that they might not want to hear. Entertainment just is, look at me, look at me, look at me, keep looking at me. Come on, keep looking at me. Okay, fireworks, snakes, ladies in bikinis. Okay, good. You know, so... It's not that all entertainment is bad. There's a place for entertainment. But I don't like how entertainment has encroached upon the world of art and completely mm -hmm. gobbled it up and just monopolized both spots. And our, our music industry, particularly the, the record industry, has done that, has allowed that to happen because they've kind of had to stay relevant with the big digital shift of all the tools of the record label being distributed to every person with a yeah, laptop. Yeah, it's a lot more independent now, right? Yeah, so now they're they're not taking risks like they used to. In the 60s and 70s, peop, the, the business part of the record industry, people didn't fully understand. They understood it, but they didn't really have it down to a science of what worked and what didn't. So, like, you know, you got some, like, beer belly, you know, CEO with a cigar in his hand, like, watching some band. He's like, this is crazy. You think the kids will like this? I don't know, Jimmy. <laughs> well, let's try it out. Okay. And we were rewarded. Yeah, there's all... development deals, that, all that stuff that used to be there that isn't there. Well, like, it, well, the good, the good thing about that era is that there were so many risks taken because people didn't really know what to do. So, like, right. Frank Zappa and The Who and Yes... And Led Zeppelin and all these and Jimi Hendrix and all these bands that like their sound was just so out there and it innovated. They were pioneers, but they were allowed to be pioneers because the industry was willing to willing to take risks. They're not doing that anymore. Now it's like you know, one chord, five chord, six minor chord, right. four right. chord. An artist sings a whole album based on that. Get a producer, don't take any risks, use these words in the songs because we did keyword targeted research on Twitter and we know that the fans want to hear these words so use songs with these words it's so scientific and methodical that it's really kind of zapped that risk factor and we don't get that we do get that in the independent music world but not in the mainstream yeah I, I talked about that with uh, Ron Vento from Night Sky because uh -huh. um, he, he has like five or six records out and I think he's shopping another one out this month yeah, he's very active here. He's done a great job. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. From but he, he talks about how nowadays you have to prove yourself. You have to prove how many units you can push before the record label really takes a risk on you. Yeah. Because then you have to prove your independent worth. Uh -huh. And if you're able to sell 10,000 copies of, of your record by yourself, then then you're able to maybe get picked up by a label. And then at that point, yep. 
if if you're smart about it, you have that decision to make to where, okay, I finally got my deal, but I can also do this by myself. Exactly. So exactly. It's like what what in the world? Because I, I had a I had a conversation with the head of Geffen Records. Okay. Uh, at a it was a, a Berkeley meeting, and I was kind of asking him, you know, like, what even is the point? Like, or I asked him, what do you have to do in order for a record label to look at you? And he said that we're dogs. We chase cars. We want we want the car to be moving. Cars to be moving before we chase it. We're not going to chase a car that's parked. You have to already be on your way. You have to already have momentum. I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, what's the point of you? Right. I mean, like, right. other than amplifying what I've already done, but, like, I feel at that point, then it's just like a matter of, you know, are you just being greedy? Like, if you're playing for fans of five, your audience is 5,000, do you really need 10,000? Like, do you really need it? Um, and you give so much con- creative control, because most of the record deals are 360 deals now, where you give every, the rights of everything. You're, you're publishing, your royalties, your merch, everything goes to the label. You lose all of the control of that, which is a really terrible deal. It doesn't seem yeah. like a good uh, deal to me um, for the chance that you'll be the one out of, you know, 40 artists on the roster who breaks through the mud and gets up to the top and the rest of the artists get shelved. You know, if you sign a deal where, um, you know, the way, and I don't know if it still works like this. It did a few years ago, but like your first album is generally to pay back the expenses that the label gave you. They they give you a, you know, $1.5 million up front. You go, awesome, I've made it. No, you have to record the album. You have to tour. (laughs) You have to put all that money back. Yeah. And then if you, if it does really well, then it breaks even. Then the next album you make money. But if you don't kill that first album, you get shelved. And they go, well, you're not going to be as much of a workhorse as we thought, so we're going to shelf you. So you're signed into their deal, and you just have to wait till the contract's up. Can't release your own music, can't do anything. Seven years of your life. Yeah, you know? I, I've even seen that with, um, I follow a lot of uh, like entertainment news, but more of the, the TV and movie side of mm-hmm. it. And... Some of the stuff that they were talking about. So I just saw an, an episode of a, of, um, it was Screen Junkies Universe, uh-huh. um, and they were talking about how certain movies will get shelved until that uh, star uh-huh. is born. Right. Interesting. So maybe Chris Pratt. Right. Yeah. So we'll have a movie that that sits and sits and sits. Uh, and then as soon as he gets a little bit more traction, then we can go ahead and release it. Yeah. They were talking about Cabin uh, Cabin in the Woods uh-huh. with Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Once he became Thor, then they're just like, oh, well, shit, I guess we should release this movie. Yeah. And that movie is fantastic. It's wonderful. But then you look at it, so you, you're sitting on all this stuff. Yeah. And you're waiting to just for the right time to strike. Yeah. And I would assume that's a little bit like the, the record companies, too, where... If you're not hot at that moment, or if your style of music isn't hot in that moment, you yeah. can be shelved for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that I mean, th- I understand that from a business aspect. Um, it's just kind of the thing I don't like that they do is there's so many people trying so hard to get success, mm-hmm. and a lot of label people in the label. They have this power over a lot of musicians is the fact that all the musicians want to be on the label without even a lot of times knowing what that entails. And like there's there, – people have a showcase and rather than be honest and upfront and the label you know, saying, you know, you're, you're not for us. Like 
you're really not going to work out. And being honest and upfront and letting them know, if there's like one element of their their show that they think they might like, they'll say, you know, well, we really liked you, but and that implants a seed of hope in the mind of the musician, saying we can make it if we just fix these things. And these people are going to grind and grind and grind and grind for five years, and they come back and they still aren't what they want. They're like, well, you're almost there, but and that keeps <laughs> that hope because they're they're a they're an investment that the label sees. Right. That the label wants to take advantage of the fact that there's hope in their mind. So they're, it's, it's almost like doing an internship. They don't have to give you anything. They're going to keep you that hope of that big promotion, that big break. But very few people are going to get that. And everyone else is going to work to help the system with that seed of hope. And I right. wish, you know, up front everyone could just know, like, is this going to work out? Is this not? And if everyone just cumulatively abandoned the idea of fame and fortune, that power would just get evaporated and things would return uh you know to a more balanced order and i feel like a lot of the way that marketing influences our culture it would lose a little bit of its pull but but marketing has had a negative effect i think on music because marketing is basically trying to convince someone that they need something they don't necessarily need yeah and good marketing should be like all right i have this great product someone actually needs this how do i get it to them Marketing doesn't really do that because it takes it one step further out of greed and says, all right, we made these like socks made out of rubber and how do we make, you know, $5 million this year? No, no one needs a sock made of rubber, but, but the business is convinced and they want yeah. to get that profit margin up. So they're going to say and do anything they can in order to get people to think rubber socks are something they need. And like you look at your closet, look around your house, look at all the things you don't, they're not required like they you don't need them for life but you have them why yeah. because of marketing right music is the same way we have all these we have all these artists and all of these um sounds and genres and ideas that have come as a result of marketing and it's like we don't need them in the dialogue of songwriting very few people are contributing anything meaningful to that dialogue in like since like 2000 mm-hmm. in the in the mainstream music there are very few people who are saying anything relevant to to the dialogue of songwriters and you can trace back, you know, to what was going on. I don't want to name drop artists. I kind of want to. They're all famous. They'll never. They'll probably never hear this. But if right. if if they ever do, but like almost anything on the radio, top forty radio today, you can go back to the sixties and seventies and find someone who said it better back then, which shows you yeah. it's yeah, not yeah. developing. It's not evolving. We're just it's a cyclical it's a cycle, right? Well, I think we're coasting on the coattails of something that was real and and that real thing has kind of faded and we're kind of synthetically trying to replicate it via marketing. Yeah. We're trying to create an image out of nothing because we realized that back then in the 60s we saw Bob Dylan, you know, smoking a cigarette with his Ray-Bans on. We go, "Oh, that's cool." He was actually just like that. He wasn't like well, if I shingish, if I put a cigarette in my mouth, then people will like me more. It wasn't that. He was just that was who he was. And so marketing people saw that and they go, let's use that as an effective tool to create an artist. But then the image is fake. It's not them. Right. It's just someone trying to synthetically create something that's not real to make money. And I don't like how that has just completely enveloped the world. And you have artists that are like solely based off of that image. There's very little substance. And I'm I hate to do this. I, I mean, I'll just criticize the the whole trap genre. I hate. The, <laughs> it's just it's it's awful. It's just an. I wish I could just crumble that genre up and just throw it into the wastebasket <laughs> because it's so image heavy. It's so heavy, heavily reliant upon image, and so not reliant upon the, the command, technical command of your musicianship. 
You don't have to play an instrument. You don't even have to like really fluently speak English. You just have to have a vague sense of timing and yeah. you have to be like relaxed at all times. Like just be in the studio. Like, Zvix 44 <coughs> and the ladies are naked in the hot tub. Yeah, and you can, I think you can uh, hit the, use that and translate it to pretty much every genre that's out there that's, that's popular. So you have that look. So you have the punk rock look, right? Yeah. Leather jacket, tight pants, boots, everything's black. Yeah. Spiky hair, whatever, right? Then you have the the hip hop, you have uh, trap, you have uh, alternative music, which has now become a lot more like heavy. So affliction t-shirts, shirts that are cut off at the sleeve, leather pants, whatever, whatever it is going to be, right? Yeah. So I, I think that can be said with, with everybody, but... One of the questions that I have for you is where do you think that you your mindset for that started? Was that in Southern Maryland or was that something that you were exposed to when you were in LA where you see that that the blatant difference between entertainment, art and those that prey on art? This is something that I kind of uh, for a long time, you know, I'm a I'm on the internet way too much. So <laughs> just seeing the kind of the way that the industry has kind of shifted and seeing the evolution of the the, the a lot of artists that have risen mm-hmm. and become known and the way that uh, lyrics have kind of changed and storytelling has changed and it's like the medium of a song itself is starting to morph and it's not morphing in a good way. Um, I don't believe that we're we're pushing that boundary and it was kind of confirmed by going to LA and just seeing it in person rather than distantly through the lens of the internet in my little and judging it yeah from a distance yeah but it really like it really is there and I felt like you know auditioning for films or you know trying to contact agencies myself and you just there's this overwhelming loom looming sense that like people I mean, I under I I try and understand from a business perspective because I put myself in their shoes and say, if I was running this, like I don't want to invest in an artist who's not going to work, and if they do have a fan base and they're already making money, that's a, that's evidence that they're they're working, like th- that they're able to do their art in a way that is going to be beneficial for us to join in a partnership. Right. However, it's like there's not really any care about like the what it, what are they saying? Like Cardi B, I'm just gonna Cardi B. I do not like Cardi B. She sucks. I think she's the the perfect example of what is wrong with the industry is that someone with like she's just a loud, brash, opinionated person with no inhibition. That's what she is. And they just take that personality, put it into music, and then just see it it's like that's going to get people's attention, but is the resulting effect of her having the attention of millions of people a good thing? For our culture, and I would say no, it's not because it's amplifying that kind of mindset. Because they all can look like whether or not, like some people don't believe this. I absolutely do. People look up to their fans and they mimic the behavior of their fans. They act like their fans. Like Taylor Swift is like the the penultimate. Like if you're a, a young girl who's had relationship troubles, Taylor Swift. Boom, because she's been through what you've been through. So you look to her and you listen to her words and they resonate with you emotionally. You go, I have felt that too. And you feel this connection. So it's like all these millions of people are connecting to this like, oh, use a hoe. I'm going to take my clothes off. Kill you if you don't like me. And it's just like those ideas are influencing millions of people. And then like, it's not like 
everyone listens to a song and they go out and kill people. But that the ideas of the artist, you know, you you don't listen to a song once, you listen to it many, many times. It's imprinted in your mind. And that alters your behavior and your thinking. It really does have an effect. And when you have that many people listening to one person, it's almost like like a political rally. Like you're listening to a speaker and their medium is music. And music amplifies the effect of lyric. So it's even more ingrained in your mind. And it's like, is that is what she's saying helpful for our culture? And no. Like, get her out of there. Like, get her off the platform. <laughs> Kick her. Make her. She had her time. Get her out of there. Like, put someone else up there. Like, put, I don't know. I, I, well, what, so what do you think the, the role of the, the music industry should be then? Is it something that should hold a, a higher moral ground to it, right? Or is it just there to amplify, like, kind of what you were talking about earlier, to where that that car is moving already, we're gonna get it to 65, 80, 90 miles an hour and just let it go. Yeah. And so, what what do you think the role should be? Is is there should should there be a conscious effort to get better messages out there, or does it even matter? Well, I, I would say yes. I would personally wish for that. I I know why it's not going to happen because they're a business and they want they desire money. Right. And then you get into the issue of like what who decides what messages are moral and who are not i could tell you you know i could tell you what i would what i would do um and i do think there is an objective reality i don't think uh, that's a whole this is a whole another can of worms but <laughs> i do believe morality is objective there's one reality you know the pursuit of science is to determine what that reality is that same thing crosses over into other aspects outside of science. Like the realm of morality is the same as the realm of science. Like how do you know that, you know, terminal velocity is 9.81 meters per second? Like that's just what it is. That's the way it is. It's proven. We can test it. Morality is exactly the same. It's not like, you know, in one country it's okay to kill people, but not in this country. It's like there's, there's a blanketing moral reality to everywhere. It always has been. It always will be. But how do you... Like, who gets appointed to determine if this artist is... Because hum, humans are subjective. Objective morality is not, but humans in our minds are subjective. So it's like Right, and that can always be corrupted, too. Exa- exactly, and that would be the hard part. And, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure certain things would work better than just letting whoever makes the most money, which is basically what we're doing now, is like, who makes the most money? It doesn't matter that you're twerking in high definition on public access TV at like 2 in the afternoon when kids are watching. Just make us the money. Go and do your thing. Take off all your clothes and dance, dance, dance. That's kind of where music is. And and I had an argument with someone in Los Angeles about this, an <laughs> actor friend. And he said, well, the music industry has always been like this. You know? And in Elvis, you know, back in the days of, you know, the... Swinging his hips. He was swinging his hips. And I was like, here's the difference between Elvis and Nicki Minaj, Okay. Nicki Minaj literally can bare butt twerk like an inch away from the camera in like full color HD color and that's like her performance like she's basically naked you can't tell she's not naked when it's like zooming in on her butt sure. Elvis just danced in a way that today we wouldn't even we would laugh at him for being cheesy and they blanked out his lower half because that was so offensive that doesn't show you that the music industry has been the same that shows you we're becoming calloused we are slowly becoming calloused, but it's happening slowly over a period of decades, so we don't see it. But like Nicki Minaj isn't getting censored, so that shows you that we are less uh, offended and we're less inhibited than we were back then. And that's the effect that we don't see because it's slow. And I think you know the music industry knows that, but they don't care. They just want 
the money. What is going right. to get the money? Shock value works. And unfortunately, that's such a powerful mechanism in the entertainment world. Um, but I don't think it's having a good effect on people. Well, do you think there's any positive – I would say any any positive result of that because when you're looking at it, you have that freedom to kind of do more, right? Uh-huh. So that callousness can also be, okay, we're, we're accepting of more people. We're accepting of, of way more trains of thought. We're accepting of, of different – points of view we're accepting of all this right so is it is it something where it's as easy as yes that freedom can be easily more expressed now or is it the old adage that sex sells i i would say um it's not always like freedom at what point do people at what point does a person have enough freedom to believe they are free like what do you what do you have do you have to like you know like grand theft auto just get a rocket launcher and go on top of a building just start shooting people now oh i can do whatever i want there's a sliding scale of like freedom and safety and the more you go towards one the less you take away from everyone else's of the other and i don't think just allowing people to continually push the envelope in terms of like immorality is a good thing in terms of creativity yes like let's go back like bring the romantic era back when people you know, there was um, – I was just talking to my friend Joss the other night about how um, – who was the composer who did the Rite of Spring? Stravinsky. When he uh, un- debuted uh, the Rite of Spring, there was riots in the street. There was – people rioted, and there's no words. It was just music. <laughs> that was just an orchestra. Like, pe- we're clearly not listening to music the same because that was so offensive because it was jarring in a musical way. But now it's like, see how calloused we are where it takes – a person to like basically take off all their clothes and like behave as if they're about to have sex with someone else in order to get people to just pay attention for three minutes to a three minute music video. Um, that shows you how callous we are. And I don't think that's good. I think we need to like get away. We need to fast. We need to take a fast from that hyper like uh, shock value entertainment so that our senses can return and we can have a normal response. It's like if you ate nothing but chocolate chip cookies every single day for like five years when you eat a chocolate chip cookie your brain is not going to register the pleasure of that cookie as if you usually right, eat broccoli you're at that point. yeah you if you eat like what you're supposed to eat then you have a chocolate chip cookie it's like oh it's amazing it's so good but it has a place it has a time and a place and it shouldn't be what your diet consists of because it will destroy you like there are consequences of eating something just based on how much pleasure it gives you. Right. This is also true from what you digest in your inner your your media. The media you digest, what you watch, what you listen to, that has an effect on your soul. And you know, there's no nutrients in most of pop music anymore. There was a time like where there were there was there was always the goofy catchy songs, mm-hmm. but it wasn't so dominated by what's going to make the money. And like I'm like scanning the top 40s charts to like add songs to my set list because I do covers. Sure, like yeah, yeah, yeah. My day job is to be an entertainer. So I'm not saying that like entertainment exclusively is just this bad thing. But I'm looking through the set I'm like, I can't play any of this. It's all so <laughs> offensive and vulgar and terrible. And it's like, I know there's the effect of getting older, but it's just, it, it was yeah, not always just like turn this. into curmudgeon or yeah. uh, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clint Eastwood. <laughs> But it, it's there really is this like a phenomenon happening of like like a pulling down the veil of you know things you just shouldn't do or say 
in the, there's this false idea that like artists are still like oppressed somehow because we can't say certain things. Like, what do you need to say? What do you need to say to be to feel like you're you can express yourself? It's not it's not a matter of you can't express yourself. It's just you want to just be offensive, and you know you don't have to do that. There's so many creative outlets and ways to express yourself where you don't have to resort to that, and that's why I love the the counterpoint to this whole spiel is the rise of the independent artist, which is sure. that's the best thing ever. <laughs> that's like you know the 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 industry is the empire. And the independent... Uh, or the rebels? Yeah, the rebels. The, re the Jedi <laughs> rebels. And it's a grim fight. And we're way outnumbered. And there's way more. They have million-dollar marketing budgets. They have ATSTs. And... They have ATSTs. And they have the Death Star. But, you know, we have the Ewoks. And we got Chewie and Han. And, uh, and it's just one torpedo. And we're going to wage yeah. war against that <laughs> giant monster. Um, I do, there is, like... There, there are a lot of tools that the industry uses that I think most people don't know about. Like, there, there's a psychological aspect of the industry. For example, um, Justin Bieber's As Long As You Love Me uh, was written by... Well, was the, the melody for that was helped... Wait, is that Backstreet Boys, or is that As just... long as you love me, I'll be your papa. Oh, that I... Justin Bieber song? Okay. It, it, was, it was a team of psychologists helped create the melody to that. It's like they had focus groups basically saying, like, what note series do you enjoy the most? Right. And, and so, like, that's not music. You don't write music. You don't ask, hey, I'm going to, like, Beethoven. Guys, okay, I need help. I'm writing my fifth symphony, and I just need you to help me determine, do you want me to go from the root to the fifth, or should I go from the fifth to the seventh? Like, no, that's not the way you write. <laughs> you should not write music <laughs> like that. That's, that's crowdsourcing Creativity and the only reason why you would do that—I mean, that could be an interesting it's just artistic to effect. It's just, yeah, it's just a sell yeah. product. And so, yeah, that is. And, and here's another. This is bizarre. Have you ever heard of binaural entrainment? No. Okay, binaural entrainment is this—I don't know what to call it. Uh, in the 1800s, I think a team of scientists discovered that if you play a frequency of 50 hertz in one ear and 100 in the other, and you exclude the ear from hearing what's being played in the opposite ear. Your brain will hear the difference and pulse at the difference of the two frequencies. So 50 in one ear, uh, 100 in the other, your brain will pulse at 50. Okay. Uh, 50 in one ear, 120 at the other, your brain will pulse at 70. So they basically mapped out, um, since, since then, they've mapped out at what frequencies, uh, like what frequencies of your brain pulsing represents like being wakeful, being tired, being relaxed, being, you know, all these different states of mind. Like when you when you get to ready to go to bed, your brain starts to produce delta waves. Right. And, and then where's the serotonin levels? Where is yeah. yeah, yeah. And it literally alters your brain. It's not quite mind control, but it's there. In Logic Pro 10, there is a binaural beat <laughs> option where you can put binaural entrainment into the song. And I'm like, clearly, if it's in Logic, people are using it. Right. So right. like binaural entrainment. I mean, you can use that. You can use that. I've used it to go to sleep before. I had a, a sleeping issue for a while, and I was using binaural entrainment, and it literally like changes the state of your mind. It's altering your consciousness. That is happening. Like there's clear proof that this is happening in music. So, you know, and I think that one song that it's audible because it's hard to hear. It's more like a sound that's really low in the in the mix. Taylor Swift's um, style 
I got that James Dean. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Look in my eyes. All right, you don't have to do the whole thing. Um, I, I, think, <laughs> I can't pay for those royalties. Not, yeah, I'm not 100% <laughs> sure of that, um, that she used that, but it's like that, that, that underneath sure. the song. That's the kind of effect that it produces, and I always wonder. I'm like, I wonder if the producer put that in there because it, it would be interesting, but it does have an effect on your mind, and so that's like, you know, that's what we're up against. We're right. that that amount of the machine, the the major machine, knowing the psychology of people and how to get to them. Um, in the independent artists, I feel like a lot of them they just want to make music, they want to find fans, and they just want to be able to make a living. It's like a very humble, respectable, reasonable request. It's not like I want, I will not rest until ninety five percent of right. all people on earth have heard my single. Like right. that's crazy. Why? Who cares? You don't need to. Well, when so when we talk about the the big machine. That that's kind of what you're going up against, right? So all the the cogs in the machine, the the big record industry, and the fact that it's so hard to break through. What what do you think keeps you going the most with your own music, and what do you oh. think your goal for your own music is in the future? Well, just knowing knowing that now today it's pretty awesome. I mean, this is I would argue this is the best time to be a musician, regardless of all of what I said before, because the power behind the independent world. All the tools that the label used to hide, now mm -hmm. they're out. They've been fragmented, and, and little fractal versions have been given to everyone. So we have all the tools. We have the ability to market. We have the ability to you know, budget and line up a tour and to produce our own albums. We can do album artwork. We can do digital stuff. There's a website called canva.com where you can create really cool, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a, I don't work for them. That's not an affiliate <laughs> call. I just I use them all the time. Um, C-A-N-V-A dot com. <laughs> but uh, you can create like media on there. Um, I've done infographics. I've done pictures and social media posts. So there's resources out there. Re yep, there's resources that weren't available. And, and there, there are markets now since like a lot of people don't want to hear the mainstream. They want to hear something else. There's a market for that. Like people yeah. want to hear everything. Now you can go on Spotify and like hear such specific subgenres of subgenres, like micro niches of music. Like, you know, Bulgarian wedding music or like, <laughs> sure, I don't yeah. know, like atonal Finch screamo. I don't know. I'm just, that, that's right. probably not a thing. That'd be, hey, if you're a band out there and you want to record, <laughs> you got a lot of Finches in your backyard, I'd love to hear what you make. Um, but that I love that. There's been this whole counter culture of, um, you know, of artists that probably would have never been able to have fans or yeah. ha have a fan base or make it without that alternative route in um there's people in southern maryland who like friends of mine people i know that are doing that and i love that um i'm gonna i'm gonna plug some of my friends right here <laughs> um my, my friend uh uh justin miles he's yeah. on he's on tour right now he's overseas um he's in china tap dancing yeah. with tap dogs which is yep insane yep i tried getting him on uh, before he he shipped out and it's just incredible to me how he's able to pursue that, and it's it's so much bigger than I even would have yeah. ever thought. And just think, like, dude, this guy from Southern Maryland is tap dancing in China. Think about that China. sentence. That's yeah. the proof that the market is not fully gone. Like, there's there's a market for everything. Right. And it's awesome. Like, you would never think that. Like, here's my who friend. Would, he's tap dancing in China. Yeah, who would have <laughs> thought that tap dancing would have been... Still a thing after Riverdance. It's just it's awesome, and they've it, yeah, and I love that they've made it. They've able to or they've been able to make it appeal to a modern audience. Yeah, like it's it's awesome because 
you, you do have to do some tweaking to things to to keep the audience because of all the marketing done to the audience right to keep their attention but he's he's they've done that really really well um and my friend josh Earhart, he's been um he's been a huge part of the music community down here um you know he teaches um he teaches constantly he plays constantly he's keeping um he's basically the, the prototype of the independent musician that is making a living doing music and he's proof and uh, robbie booth band um, they have done, I mean, they've done amazing things. My cousin Max is in that band and, um, them and Sam Grow have been, they, they've done the whole, like coming from nowhere and just climbing and climbing and climbing in the way that you would, if you had a label, but without a label, they are very good examples of people yeah. who have done that. And Sam just, uh, signed his first record deal, I think. Yeah. And he, he did it like. The, he did it the grassroots way. Like, yeah. start and work hard and get your own fan base and become the moving vehicle that the, that the label wants to do. I, I hope that they treat him good. I hope that they don't, you know, make him... Um, well, I, th I think just like you, you've been around enough and I'm sure that he's been around enough to where he can kind of yeah, look at it a little bit more objectively and, and figure out if it's a deal that he actually wants to do. Yeah, and, and he's got a lot of fans backing him, so that, that's like yeah. when a label sees the power of like a rabid fan base that like they really believe in you and they want your success, and you have a lot of them, and they're very passionate. Like that's a powerful bargaining chip on the table. Like right, the more and, and that is like I hope that you know that that gives him freedom in the label because like lit man labels sometimes they they just crush creativity and dreams sometimes right. and talking with people who have been in the industry uh for a guy i know dale watson um who's like the johnny cash but didn't become johnny cash he he kind of stayed lower key um he's kind of a country guy and he had friends in the industry like big big names who talked to him after their shows and they're just, i wish i went your route man because i'm in this contract and i got 10 years in this right. thing and I, I hate playing this i pl hate playing this music man yeah i got fans i got big houses but I don't like it. And it's like, what's the point of music? If you if do you all this like stuff, it, yeah. you just go get a normal <laughs> job and don't like that. It's way easier. Right. Um, and then Donovan uh, Farrell, who's done, uh, he does these Christmas carols every year with with um, a lot of people in Southern Maryland. Dude, he's killing it. Like, they're getting hundreds of thousands <laughs> of views on social media. And this is like a local dude, you know, just of his, he's not not from a label, just working, getting, organizing people writing producing and releasing and it's like there's proof there's proof you don't need the label you don't need all this stuff if you're willing to put in the hours to do yeah. it and i love that counterpoint to the label like you really don't need it and i wish uh more musicians would realize like stop get the idea of like hopes and dreams and fame and fortune just throw it away and just scale everything down and just work on getting like your first fan your, your first five fans and 10 fans and 20 fans and scale from there but don't just have this like dream because that's what American Idol and The Voice and X Factor they've exploited. Yeah, they've exploited this to the t like to the ultimate sense. They are just taking these broken stories of these hopeful people that have had hardship, and they're making money off of their stories. They don't give you don't get anything. They they use your image and your story for their benefit, and then like twelve people get a contract, one gets a real, a record deal, everyone else just gets kicked to the curb, and they say, "Well, it's good exposure." Eh. Eh, right. I know a few people who have been on American Idol, and they would disagree. They would say, <laughs> oh, yeah, a million people, a million random people that are not my targeted audience saw me for, like, five seconds. Like, exposure, that, and that's the biggest lie that venues who are good at business know how to cheat artists. They say, oh, it's great exposure if you play here. Really? 
Okay. Here's, here's the thing. I would equate that exactly to saying this. Oh, I, I'm a landscaper and uh, I noticed that you do a lot of yard work. You're really good at it. I want you to come on my team. I'm going to pay you money. Well, how much money? Well, I'm just going to pay you money. It's ambiguous. There's no quantification. How much money? How much will I make per hour? That's what exposure is to artists. It's not, okay, how many targeted fans that are interested in the niche, the micro niche of my music will be in that audience? How many guaranteed conversions can you give me out of that audience? If you can't quantify that, then sorry, I can't play. Right. Like that's what we need to start demanding. Don't ever do that exposure thing. You can play for 100,000 people it doesn't matter. Like it does not matter if they're not the right people. They will. They won't remember you. They'll forget. And the maybe. I mean, you got something good for your resume. Played for a hundred thousand people one time, but like I That's had to one learn. Time. Yeah, I had to learn the hard way about that by playing. You know, stadium gigs and playing for. It's just they people forget. Like you need a system. First of all, you need a system in place to get your fans. You need an email list, and you need a sales page and all these other things to hook the fans into you so that. If they're trying to find you, you don't lose them. Right. And then the rest of them, you kind of need to ignore most people because not everyone's your fan. And that's the other thing is people think a lot of artists um, wrongfully think that just playing in front of people like vaguely, it's all kinds of demographics, man. There could be people that they want to hear hip hop. They don't want to hear your sad Death Cab for Cutie acoustic songs. And that's, that's me. <laughs> but like they don't want to hear it. Like you can do anything in the world. They're never going to be your fan. So stop trying to be a little kind of stop trying to be palatable for everyone focus in on your group of people and and you know do do your thing for them but like if you're being honest with your art that will happen naturally anyways yeah and, that, and that's the that's the trick is you do have to have you do have to market yourself a little bit but yeah. you don't twist what you do in order to pander to people because that's the idea of becoming a star and that whole what the label does has infiltrated independent artists because they think they have to do that and they don't and I want to make it as clear as possible if you're a musician and you're struggling you don't have to like dance monkey dance every time for every person like you have to as Tony Robbins says fire a lot of your clients like fire the people stop trying to please the people that will not they're not part of the journey sure let them go let them let them loose and focus on the people that like sit front row and they and they're starry and they love every song that Focus on that person. Who cares about the person in the back? You know, I want to hear free bird. Blah. Like, <laughs> right. Know, even right. though that's usually my friend who's heckling me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what what do you have coming up next for for you? What's your your next part of the journey? Well, um, you know, LA has really changed me a lot in the sense of um, it's made me. You know, when you're like if a little squirrel's crawling around, he's looking for acorns to eat, and there's a really harsh winter, and there's no more acorns. Like, what am I gonna do? Well, there's peanuts over there. I'm, hey, I'll try peanuts. I've done acting since going out to LA, something sure. I never thought I would do, and I've done movies and commercials and gotten kind of into that part of the industry, which is a whole nother ball game. But I like it because there's a lot of what you learn in music that transfers to acting. Um, acting is a naked art form. There's, you don't purchase any medium. You don't need paintbrushes. You don't need strings. You don't need clay or anything. You it's just need you, yourself. You and your mind. And I love that about acting. It's, the, it's like an absolutely naked, raw art form. And acting is different than what I thought it was. Acting is really not acting. 
And I know that sounds so so pretentious in uh, acting is not acting. <laughs> um, it's more of the the idea that you want to actually get yourself emotionally worked up in the way it like in a real way, so it actually affects you. And then just turn the camera on and get that. You're not like trying to make yourself sad. You are actually causing yourself sadness but through the imagined circumstances of the character. So like you're using something imaginary to conjure up something real rather than using pretending you're someone and faking sure. that, that thing. Because if you fake it, it usually doesn't work. You can. Sometimes you can get away with it. Um, but I do like how that has kind of – it's given me some um, really subtle things to kind of bring back into music and realize – what, like the, the most powerful mechanism I think in art is is emotion emotional reaction is the is kind of like that's the currency of all art is does it afflict does it trigger some kind of emotional reaction now I think it's very important to consider what emotional reactions you get out of your audience and another thing what I don't like what mainstream tends to do is they don't care they just go as long as it makes someone emotionally react we're good and I don't think that's I don't think that's good enough. Um, I think you should really consider in what way you affect them emotionally, and always consider that because I mean that's important. It's very yeah. important. You can you can you know you can really get a story along um, by pairing it with an emotional reaction, and film definitely has that. Um, the the whole film industry or the whole um, like the acting world because it's kind of like theater. There's theater acting. There's film, drama. There's sure, comedy. Yeah. There's commercials and they're all like separate prongs, and it's um, it's almost like you got to go there and you got to do your internship. You got to put in your couple years, and you don't get paid really much. <laughs> you just build a reel, and you um, you grind and you work on your craft and you work on your skill and you network and you meet people, and it kind of happens organically. If you're if you're always trying to do your best, you're always trying to give your absolute best performance. You're polite. Don't be like because there's actors, they're divas, and they are rude yeah. to people, and they're mean to like a boom, someone holding the boom. They're just like you know ripping them a new one because they think oh they're the actor, the spotlight's on you, dude. You are just you're a cog in a machine. Like you're no more valuable than anybody else. Like a person that's you can like, be replaced. Yeah, a person that's putting tape on the wall is just as important as you. So don't think just because you're in front of the camera. You're like somehow special. You're not. Like, trust me, there's a lot of actors and they're all willing to take right. the part. So I like that. It's very humbling because you, 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 you must look at yourself humbly because you will not, it's very unlikely you will succeed. I mean, there are actors who have made it who are not humble. They're terrible to work with. But <laughs> usually that prevents you from getting anywhere. And I like that. I like that, um, you know, it forces you to really be humble and look at yourself in a way that is not. You can't have ego. I mean, you'll just ruin. It just won't go anywhere, and that is that's awesome. And also having you know all the amenities and comforts of life basically stripped away and just dropped into this huge mess of traffic and screaming and people just <laughs> working themselves to the bone. Um, it's a good environment to be in to get in professional shape, I guess. And yeah. it's it's really it's really been good for me. Um, yeah, although it's hard, it's hard. It tests you a lot. And sometimes it's very lonely not being connected with your fans. You know, I miss, I do miss home um, and miss, you know, having, uh, just getting, you know, just going, seeing somebody, hanging out. Cool. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, do you have any more? Any more? 
Anything else you want to say? Sure. Um, I guess if, if anyone has been listening, uh, I do have an I have a couple albums out, EPs. I haven't done a full album yet. And I don't know if I'm going to do one because the, now everything's about the single, dropping the single. So I might right. just release singles forever, but um, we'll see. But I do have an album, Remember to Play, which is about like the idea of adulting, getting to you too much, and remembering to be a kid every now and then because that's important. And it's on, it's on Spotify. Um, I have a link on my uh, website to it. And if you Google my name, Dylan Galvin, D-Y-L-A-N-G-A-L-V-I-N, you can you know find me on Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and you can go to my website. On the songwriter artist, I, I had to do my website's now a three prong thing where it's like acoustic performer, which is if you want to hire me as an entertainer for your right. event, and then actor, and then singer songwriter because they're different. Like I was marketing singer songwriter and acoustic performers the same thing, and I realized that wasn't really working for me, so I had to split it. Yeah. And I didn't want to because now it's more work. Now I have to manage <laughs> two different images. But you know what? Um, but yeah, you can get um, my music. Some some of my music is free to download off my website, um, and I think I'm on SoundCloud. I am I am on SoundCloud. Cool. But um, I would like to say to all the all the musicians out there that are grinding really hard, uh, don't feel that you need to behave like mainstream artists. You don't need to. Don't let fame and fortune be the goal. Scale everything down and keep it small and realistic and go towards that. It's always about your fans and always about delivering. Stay authentic to your message. Don't don't pander. Don't completely water down everything just and redo who you are just because, you know, it'll get you a few more views. Find uh, a healthy balance between you – know, you do have to communicate a message. Like you can't selfishly just – be so selfishly indulgent that no one can understand your message because the point of music is to play it for other people. Otherwise, you're just a person playing music in yep. your basement. There's no point to that. But you do, um, you know, don't don't get so far lost that you um, lose your intention and you're just trying to, you know, um, pander to everyone. Don't do that. Um, to my fans, my family, my friends in Southern Maryland, thank you so much for, uh, you know, always believing in me and, and helping me get this far. I know it's it's not as far as I would like to be, but it is we've been on a journey and you are the pretty much the sole cause of why I've been able to even do this. So thank you for that. Um, to all the musicians in Southern Maryland, keep developing this scene. It is, it is, it has been birthed. It is growing. And there are more original musicians now than there were a few years ago. And that's awesome. Keep doing it. Keep finding creative ways to market your shows, make posters, make flyers, like get your names out there and keep this uh, music scene developing and evolving because I love coming back home and seeing it's yeah. progressing, it's getting bigger, yeah. it really is. And the bands are getting better at, they are getting better at marketing themselves. As much as I trashed marketing, yeah. not all marketing is bad. Um, you have to do some marketing and I appreciate that um, they're getting better at it. And um, yeah, um, you know, uh, to uh, I would like to say thank you to Carlos uh, at the Ruddy Duck and Fred Wiley at uh, Kautai and uh, Jeff at the Tavern who uh, I'm playing with uh, tonight with Josh but I don't think this will be released no. this will be yeah <laughs> unless you if you guys can go back in time right. get a time machine go back to December 29th 9pm at the St. Leonard Tavern me and Josh will be there uh, it'll be a very expensive to get back in time yeah <laughs> but um, to all the all the venue owners um, who have uh, allowed a platform for music live music Thank you. You have you have given us jobs. You have kept us alive. You have literally kept us alive. You have given us bread on our table and a roof over our heads uh, for providing that. So thank you. And to um, 
you know, to my buddies in LA, um, stay strong. It is a hard, <laughs> hard industry out there. It is so competitive. And as much as I, you know, m- might have anything critical, it, it is, I mean, I'm there because I want to be there. Right. I, would, I wouldn't be there if I didn't want to be there. And um, there's so many opportunities and um, it is competitive. So just stay strong and uh, keep, keep plugging away. Keep doing what you do. Cool. I think that's it.